is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. We're seeing the devastating impact of this invisible killer. There will come a moment when no health service in the world could possibly cope because there won't be enough ventilators, enough intensive care beds, enough doctors and nurses. That is the moment of real danger. The new variant is out of control and we need to bring it under control and this news about the new variant has been a uh, an incredibly difficult end to, frankly, an awful year. And it's important for everybody to act, essentially act like they might have the virus. And that's the way that we can control it together. The way ahead is hard. And it is still true that many lives will sadly be lost. Our advisory group on new and emerging respiratory virus threats, NERVTAG, has spent the last few days analysing this new variant. It may be up to 70% more transmissible than the old variant, the original version of the disease. You, you might be infectious and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Assume you might be infectious, assume you might be infectious and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Today the United Kingdom's chief medical officers have advised that the country should move to alert level 5, meaning that uh, if action is not taken, NHS capacity may be overwhelmed within 21 days. And it's going to spread further and I, I must level with you level with the, the British public, um, more families, uh, many more families, are going to lose loved ones before their time. Your colleague on stage, John Edmonds, has just sent me a statement saying that as far as he's concerned, this is the worst moment of the epidemic because of the extraordinary inf infectivity of this new strain. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, this is a horrible moment, for sure. I to say, as I'm really sorry to hear about your two relatives who died from this virus. I mean, it is a very dangerous virus uh, for many people. We're looking to move to a different regime. So as we come to the fourth step, we will change the basic tools that we have used to control human behaviour.
they're reading that law line. I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. They are, in a group they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go, let's go, let's go. It is bloody one o'clock in the morning. one thirteen. in fact. I am hours and hours behind. So maybe, maybe I'll skip a whole bunch of tabs and stuff that I was intending to do. Um, I'm not sure why I got delayed so much. Can't, can't even blame that tax-evading blick of mine in this instance. But uh, it's just... It's like moving through fucking treacle, man, the summer. I can't stand it. Ah, <laughs> it's uh, all life that I've just been a shutting all day. Was uh, bombing about last night with uh, Commander Rikasu, and then um, just couldn't couldn't function today. Was uh, just slept all afternoon and um, tried to organise my tabs and uh, thought I'll I'll get streaming about eleven. That will that'll be a good time. Now it's it's one a.m. I was just fiddling with stuff, and the problem is there's just there's a big topic I want to get into, and it's being teed up nicely um, by the mainstream media. Um, uh, I, I'll take a look at McConnell. I'll just give you my opinion as to what happened. I did I did see it on Twitter. I'll take a look. Um, I'll explain to you what I think it is. Um, well, it, it lines up with the direction that we need to go, which is uh, nearer strike. Um, the fancy marketing talk that they're giving salt, <laughs> salt on the brain, and uh, we wanna, I wanna try and delve into the 
state of the art in the published literature with respect to the brain machine interfaces now we've done please go watch streams i've done with spartacus uh talking about covert moral bio enhancement and i would consider a brain machine interface less than covert but um i think it's important just to look at the limits of what what's available what's extant right now and It'll give you an idea what's coming down the pipeline at us. So um, thank you all for the uh, constructive criticism in the chat. I do think the text is a little too big. Um, I can't change it midstream, but yeah, I'll, I'll just add that to the list of <laughs> things to do. Whilst I'm, whilst I'm struggling, struggling, each summer is worse. Oh, come the autumn, sweet, sweet autumn, please. <sighs> it's nearly the end of July, right? Oh, well, year's flying by. Year is just one big stream to me, folks. All right, so uh, enough about what I've been doing. Let's uh, let's get into the main, uh, the meat and potatoes of... Well, oh, yeah, I, I, one more thing I wanted to add. So, um... With the uh, brain um, machine interface, uh, I'm hopefully going to have uh, an insider come and talk to us about the state of the art with respect to men's magnetoelectric nano particles, beyonds, I guess. Um, and um, I can critique the work i mean i've been taking a look at it the last few days um just just in sort of preparation for neurostrike and um within the last day or two there's been a um important uh important update with respect to sars because um by any metric sars would fit the very definition of a neurostrike weapon and uh look we may spend a lot of time talking about that controversial tribe, the K26R phenotype, but but we must remember that uh, the where is the advantage? Right, it's if you have a if your population. <laughs> you had enough. Ah, it turned down my volume. Bloody hell. <laughs> Oh, Judy Bakshi, that's right. You tell them princelings. Uh, the princelings in uh, China would have, uh, how should we say, far less genetic diversity. And so the less diverse your population, the easier it is to leverage um, race specificity in a incapacitation neurostrike uh, paradigm which is, I guess, where they want to take us. Are we, or am I manifesting this uh, crazy world? Um, maybe. Um, Musk is working with Harari and Schwab. I don't know, man. I'm not so sure they're so cohesive at the top. <laughs> there are different competing groups, for sure. And it's, it's the same as it ever was. Um, let's see, uh, again, <laughs> what about the Chinese student? <laughs> I'm sure there are some. 
I'm sure. But, you know, it's it's a numbers game in the end, right? So that that's how you got to look at it. Uh, weighted probabilities, numbers, uh, evolutionary uh, timescales. Well, you know, those timescales get shorter with technology. Um, we confirmed there is a tribe in China worshipping and has been there a long time. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see. RFK Jr. says 4.2% global population, 16% COVID deaths. Um, I don't know what that means. Tendency. Is that a link for me? Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I'm fine. Where the link is. Let's see. We have 4.2% of the global population. Oh, uh, hang on. So he's he's talking about the all-cause mortality or, or the... Sorry, I'm, I haven't listened to this, but I presume he's talking about the numbers of deaths with respect to um, U.S. citizens. And a uh, simple fact is, uh, my American cousins... You lead a very unhealthy lifestyle, many of you. Uh, you are primarily uh, <laughs> fructose-loaded, chronically inflamed, um, fatty bum-bums, I'm afraid. Um, and even in your early years, and I'm not one to be... Uh, <laughs> physician here, I'm not a physician, so I don't have to... Um, worry about it too much um but yeah i'll just bring this down let me change screens of course uh shout out to you've been nudged who controls the spice controls uh ukraine i can't remember if i used that one or not before but it is a great one all right let's listen to rfk here quickly i tried to respond in real time we have 4.2 percent of the global population how come we had 16 percent of the covid deaths whatever they were doing was catastrophic there were countries you know that we were told the african countries and poor countries were like haiti we're going to be devastated by COVID. well guess what haiti had a death rate of 15 people per million population from COVID. nigeria had a death rate of 14 million that's one two hundredth of our death rate of three thousand per million so whatever they were doing and I, you know i have a good idea about what, why that went wrong whatever they were doing was wrong and and it's not just because those were younger populations japan has the oldest population in the world and it had one-tenth the death rate that we did it didn't follow our protocols the response was not we saw this all from the beginning and all of us were troubled by this it was not a public health response it was a militarized and monetized response Yes, that's the critical aspect here. It was a militarized and, uh, how should we say, um, a spasm of uh, <laughs> capitalistic uh, gorging on the uh, on the blood of the people. So, um, <laughs> world.com. Yes, we're going to get to that in a second. Um, so. I, I agree with RFK. Um, I've seen um, his association with Habadniks coming up as a topic of conversation. Um, yeah. <laughs> Show me someone who ain't 
and uh, you're the my American cousins. You are thoroughly, thoroughly infiltrated. But again, I'm not sure how much of this is. They're not monolithic, right? And you know, it's. I keep trying to explain it to you. They're they're obviously jostling for positions, and um, as the big whales are thrashing around, and the dangerous animals are uh, jostling for position, you've just got to get through to the other side. Don't get caught up in the Zog Wars, the Banker Wars, whatever type of wars you want to call them. Fifth-gen fifth Gigawankathon Wars. Um, your job is to survive what's cooming. Uh, and if you've got this far, you'd probably, you'd probably be okay short of, uh, well short of you having to go to the trenches because well wars have a tendency to spread um but uh let's uh let's let rfk finish on to a public health crisis okay. thank you vigilant fox all right so uh just a reminder that's me doc Kevin McCann, and uh i'm i've got a morbid fascination now about uh, bio warfare. I've, uh, I didn't ask to get dragged into this, but uh, I seem to have been. And uh, how should we say? Uh, I have a family to look after, and you are all my family too now. So um, those those that aren't hate watching, and of course, uh, I have been on a Wolf of Wall Street mass tear up since last stream. But uh, we do. Always need support. Uh, Patreon, uh, WTYL.live, tip chart, street facts, or gay pal, buy me a coffee, subscribe star, cryptocurrencies, etc., etc., all gladly received. And uh, use, uh, use the tools of your oppressor in the corner, the uh, QR code, to get through to those payment processing. Um, let's see. They, so we've done that. Of course, uh, you can join the Discord. I still haven't. It used to stream on that website. <laughs> Where's that? Where's that blick? Fix it. <laughs> and uh, you, if you would like uh, to be registered, to be notified uh, when I go live on the channels there, we talk, you listen, Twitch, DLive, Rumble, etc. Um, I try to put an email out before I go live. It's not, I don't do it all the time. 99.9%. I try my best. There's so many things to do. It's so complex to get around censorship. That's another prime focus we have, of course, is the censorship and the... Um, yeah, we're going to talk about totalitarianism. And, of course, uh, I said WTYL, much of the money goes into this, our streaming video on-demand platform, etc., etc. Please, uh, please support ex uh, me and uh, Simon Phoenix, uh, the uh, the visionary behind um, the tech here. I, 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 could, I wouldn't have the fucking patience. <laughs> Just... I just want to hit stream and go. All right, so uh, that out the way. Um, let's let's get into Russia and Ukraine because uh, this is uh, in this complex war. We should pay attention to the very very hot bits and whether they're. Um, I don't know. Uh, like, how much is the fog of war? I, um, I can merely guess, but I think it's important to pay attention to what's being said, particularly by uh, the narrative control networks. And uh, I do try to uh, pay attention to what the mainstream is saying. And 
let's let's see how Sky News is couching the last two days because um, NATO has obviously the, the uh, have they really shut off grain supplies etc they've they've withdrawn from the grain deal right and they seem to be setting up to blockade the black sea and as the war expands that would make sense militarily for the russians to do um you wouldn't give your enemies room to maneuver and especially not use uh, big tankers like that sailing up and down when you've got critical infrastructure and we've seen that they are more than prepared to take out critical infrastructure so let's just have a, a, a listen to this i'll try and stomach it one more time um but yes it's it's interesting how they couch stuff i'll play damn you Sean, talk me through the, the topic list that will have been discussed between Rishi Sumak and Zelensky. Yeah, good afternoon, SJ. Um, inevitably, this is a round that Zelensky will be going around all the global leaders for an update. Front of house, closer defence cooperation. Zelensky always starts with a list of requirements for weapons, no doubt, wants ammunition, air defence weapons. But the three topics I suspect behind the scenes that, are, first of all... Uh... Uh, every time I see those two together now, I just, uh, that you've been nudged mean, air woofters. Uh, just pops in my head, but um, uh, no way, no how, never. The tech here works perfectly. Very upset about the NATO conference. Didn't have a clear route through. He'll be looking forward to how that security is going to be guaranteed. And Richard Sunak's been part of the sort of G7 conversation about potential security options. Um, and look, I want to be um, uh, as fair as possible. Um, in the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, Ukraine was given security guarantees should they give up their nuclear weapons that were stationed on their soil. Um, again, you know, the you could argue that NATO has essentially disregarded any of the agreements from the Cold War, etc. But you know, they're those agreements were made, etc. And, you know, I, I like to think that well, were I to make a promise, I'd try and follow through. Um, they will also be asking about the uh, progress on the spring offensive. Bluntly, President Zelensky is going to have to manage expectations. The West was seven weeks in, still no breakthrough. And also this grain deal. Ukraine is the seventh largest exporter of grain in the world. Um, it's uh, July and August are the uh, harvesting times. They'll be very worried about how, you know. How and what have we seen? Um, their grain isn't going to the starving areas of the world. We looked a couple of streams ago, and it goes to primarily Europe. And yeah, somehow I don't see uh, many Europeans standing in bread lines. Not yet, anyway. So how this progresses? Um, there's a real concern, isn't there, that Russia may try to uh, ramp up its attack on Ukrainian exports. And um, this afternoon, James Cleverly, uh, the Foreign Secretary, said that Russia could actually start targeting civilian ships in the Black Sea. Um, why is Russia targeting um, Ukrainian grain and, uh, and food? Yeah. I, love, I love the way they're just making out Ukraine is so innocent. Oh, they're just, oh, just poor wheat farmers just trying to get their crops to market. <laughs> Cut damn Sky News. Flies. 
The, the only answer to that, obviously, is President Putin's the one to know, but it is uh, ever since they walked away from the grain deal, Russia's been pounding the Odessa port facilities and the grain itself. Uh, and given the importance of it, there was a suggestion that some of the merchant shipping said they'd be prepared to run the gauntlet just to keep, because they earn a lot of money by obviously exporting the grain. Uh, but Russia's actually mined some of the... Um, you mean they earn a lot of money uh, smuggling in weapons? Is that what you mean? <laughs> port areas and they've also said that any civilian ships making an approach they'll assume that they're carrying arms and therefore they'll be of course of course of course britain would do the same us would do the same any country engaged in combat like that would assume the worst <laughs> hey look at you lick spittles and think you've got a uh, a nine mil and a mag stuffed in an orifice somewhere each time you uh, you board a plane Right. It's um, it's it's ridiculous how they're again playing this game. Oh, you know, those uh, those nasty roofies, they'll do they'll do anything. They'll, they'll, they'll step over any lines. It just gets worse. I'm not sure how much I can stomach of this, to tell the truth. Uh, I've had to open to attack. And that prompted James Cleverly to tweet uh, and to warn that actually there's a grave risk of this whole thing escalating. What's ah, you think? You think uh, reality uh, actually beginning to... Uh, <laughs> hang on, that woman used to present football. What the fuck should she, would, would she know about geopolitics? Um, yeah, uh, it shows. Again, anyone with any an ounce of... Yeah, geopolitical awareness, self-awareness, would, would just be looking at this. You should just be looking at this as what it is which is just naked propaganda look does uh, does rt do the same yes of course you should be looking at both of those sides with uh very very uh skeptical skeptical beady eyes it's interesting though it's not just odessa so um you don't just have to go across the black sea fleet from odessa you can also use um uh the danube river to actually get uh, grain out as well down it goes through rennie and up through um through germany but last night the russians targeted rennie um and actually there were uh, 15 drone attacks seven people injured in attacks there what's deeply worrying is rennie is right on the border of romania romania is a nato weapons and suddenly you've triggered uh, a grave escalation in this now from a military perspective there's no reason for russia to target that they are engaged in trench warfare on that landmass and it's been going on a year and a half <laughs> okay okay they just they'll just leave that little uh, infiltration point uh, intact i get it it's purely trying to damage grain. And what's interesting, Russia claims that it's ready to negotiate again about grain. The UN Security Council is putting pressure. Even China, mm -hmm. a normal bedfellow of Russia, is trying to put pressure on them. The harsh reality is, though, Russia is driving down global availability of grain. That's pushing up the prices. And who is the number one of exporter of, of grain in the world? It's Russia. So they're the ones who are going to benefit. They're weaponizing grain. That's against the Geneva Convention. It's illegal. It's having global consequences. Ah, oh, the tars on these people to be uh, reaching, clutching at the Geneva Conventions after they've uh, flaunted them so egregiously in the in, in the last year and a half, taking out critical infrastructure. I mean, compared to undersea gas pipes and uh, dams with uh, hydroelectric, um, grain grain is uh, is not so high up on the list. 
Uh, hey, calm down there, Nick, calm down. Just... And there's a lot going on in the Black Sea at the moment. Uh, and we've been talking over recent weeks about drone attacks. Russia reckoned that they foiled one uh, in the Black Sea. What details do we have about that? Very sparse, inevitably, because it's out at sea. Russia claims that two uh, maritime drones were, that were targeted in the Black Sea. Now I can't take any more. But, that, you know, there's, there's the uh, take from the West. And, you know, the, I'm, I'm not going to spend too long on Russia. We'll skip that. We'll skip that. Um, so people wanted to, I, I said I'd comment Arsene, about Arsene Mitch McConnell. Um, what are we seeing here? Um, we are seeing a very elderly man. And I would, but if, if you see this response, okay, if it's a young person, the suspicion goes towards something called absence seizure. In someone of his age, this is, uh, I, would, I would lay dollars to donuts that this is freezing phenomenon and he's getting treatment for Parkinson's and freezing is a classic classic symptom so they can be they can be generally walking normally and then we're not really sure why we think it's the plasma concentration maybe in the network state all, all that we'll get into that today um but this is a classic freezing moment right and take a look at it but think parkinson's cooperation he's talking and a string of uh, look at that absence face And you know how do how do how do you get um, what happens in that state? It's a very very unusual. Uh, if it's if it's freezing, Parkinsonian freezing, and you know I've asked patients and neurologists, you know, what 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 does it feel like, and what do, what do you report? And they literally say like nothing. They don't notice anything, and it's like they've stopped. And depending on how bad it is, it's just they need a you often need like a sensory stimulus to kickstart the neural processing again. It's a it's very bizarre, but, um, you know, it's up there with uh, it's in the ballpark of uh, Neurostrike. Right. So we're going to um, thread the needle towards uh, Neurostrike as we go through the um, the news items of the day and try to get to the science so uh, that one came in whilst the chat was coming up so uh if you want a good take on um the russians punching through i was going to spend more time on this but i'll uh sensei armchair warlord has done a breakdown of the break out of the russians in the north um of course there are some gains in the south by russians i'm not really a war channel i tend to just look at the yeah, the bigger, bigger pictures, um, but uh, very, very interesting breakdown because it wasn't being reported. Now, um, as I'm getting ready to stream, 
or aggregating the, the stories. You know, one of the one of the things that we it's a, it's a subject matter that we spend a lot of time what, talking about, and you know, <laughs> what are they? What are they planning? Those uh, those K two CXRs. What are they up to? And you know the technology is moving us towards a point where um and we've got this convergence right of ai and being able to simulate people and voice and video etc such that it's going to become virtually impossible to tell on a screen who's who and what's what etc and um so this this story popped up and um Verified human, so world coin users. So this is literally, I want to say it's from the people who do chat GPT, if I remember correctly. Yes, right. So <laughs> chat GPT have gone around and it's been a program that's been ongoing and they've got these Orwellian looking orbs that take retina scans and they've been bribing people with uh, some new form of cryptocurrency and basically it's a way to um, you will be able to prove that you are a human being when using the internet through biometric ID now look why <laughs> why did they have to use the retina I mean why not a fingerprint well I guess you could chop someone's finger off and put it on the biometric reader but i think you know the sophisticated ones look for temperature and pulse and what have you um <laughs> ellie says mitch was overwhelmed with his love for boosters and how he wanted another immediately um how do you how do you know that i'm not an ai well there that people people there are witnesses to me right i've i've gone and actually met people in the flesh and there are people that have come to japan to meet me so there's that confirmation right so unless they're all ais and this is all a ai uh fantasy dream etc then i i think i'm human i'm i'm i seem to have kids and uh <laughs> suffer suffer the uh the niggles the niggles and uh ouches of um, human existence so it's either really really good programming or um i am i am human you have to take my word for it in this instance so um but yeah the a crypto conference in tokyo people on tuesday queued in front of a gleaming silver globe flanked by placards stating orbs are here applicants lined up to have their irises scanned by the device oh it's not retinal scan it's iris scan oh well <laughs> Before waiting for the 25 free WorldCoin tokens, the company says verified users can claim. <laughs> yeah, click. There's video of uh, people lining up. I guess this is Tokyo. It could be. Um, but the the disturbing things this this comes on the back of this story which synchronistically came up in my feed a, a, around the same time which was nearly a third of gen z favors the government installing surveillance cameras in homes now 
I have no idea how we have managed to move. The, well, I do have an idea how we've done it, but the idea that human beings have just become so placid and so trusting that a third of our young would welcome surveillance cameras in their homes. I mean, it's not like there aren't surveillance devices already in your homes, but, you know, an, an official one that's going straight to uh, headquarters um, is insane to me. I'm I'm struggling to to comprehend and where where that leads. And I, I, I get it that I'm a old dinosaur and half my life was before really the Internet um, took off. But yeah, Google Home and Alexa and all, all these all these devices, the ring thing from Amazon that sort of networks itself uh, around neighborhoods. It's all very, very sketchy. And, you know, the. I've, I've talked about this before, which is the evolution of the technology, right? I remember it happening in the UK where the cameras went up and people grumbled and were just like, oh, God, where, how dare they start putting uh, street cameras up and looking at us going around doing uh, 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 traveling, as it were, and the... That spread to automatic number of plate readers, and now there are these, um, I want to say that they're like the cameras that used to be in London that would charge you, and they're doing it for um, if you've got a normal electric, uh, sorry, petrol or diesel car, um, you're going to get charged, uh, I don't know what it is, 20 quid a day, something like that, um, to drive around in, in any uh, any urban area and <laughs> look it's because we allowed them to put up those cameras 40 years ago that <laughs> we're in this situation that we're in right now and um you know where does that leave i was gonna i was gonna rant on about um you know how they would you know having to give i don't know an authorization to a machine to use it to state that you are human just has um automatic sort of feedbacks via this type of legislation which leads to and again this is not a new story but it sort of popped up around this as i was sort of clicking through the stories um related to this and United Nations, freedom of speech is not freedom to spread racial hatred on social media, say UN experts. And again, I think this, what, what was this related to? Oh, it was, it was gaming, right? So gaming industries are um, coalescing to make sure that your speech gets restricted on their platform. Now, you can make the argument that they're private companies they can decide who and what uh, and when you're allowed to play on those systems but the problem is is that the line has been blurred and you know the um just cross out the racial bit and just and just read it as hate speech anything that they deem as hate speech which then leads into misinformation disinformation you've got information disorderly spittles um you should <laughs> you should be 
you should be very, very concerned about this. Now, look, I can see my kids picking up bad, bad behaviors from playing games and they, that they're already sort of, you know, mimicking the, uh, the gaming language, etc. And, you know, I, I guess there's a legitimate concern. But again, it's this, um, it's the camel's nose under the tent and uh, the control of, you know, something that we should be very, very guarded about just handing over to corporations. And this is going to lead us into uh, Neurostrike. I might, I might skip some of the COVID news that I had. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a bunch here that's just, yeah, it's a bit over the, a bit outside where I want to go. But um, this, um, this leads to uh, this idea that you can um, continue refining control mechanisms over human beings. Now, that, that could be in overtly hostile manners, like you could argue SARS, if it, it would appear to be. It certainly ticks many of the boxes of a biowarfare agent um, to, the, uh, to the bizarre technical side, which you know, coupled with iris scans and uh, a brain-machine interface. Now, you know, my own personal view is that you don't need um, to get past the skull and the dura to manifest an effect, especially at a population scale, right? Just just look how the... Um, <laughs> the the news cycle does it right. The the rage porn that we all sit here, we all sit here getting all all uptight and uh, wound up about it. And you know, sometimes <laughs> a, you should get wound up about it when they're uh, when they're going going full bore at you. Um, let's see. Uh, I missed that comment. What was that? Uh, they seem interested in eye scan technologies that could be part of health monitoring. The eye plays a crucial role in regulatory, regulating various aspects of human biology. Much of its function remains a mystery. Implementing this technology could offer valuable insights, helping us dissect and comprehend its intricate workings. Is this some something you've copied and pasted in here? Moreover, it may be connected to light therapy methods, exploring how different wavelengths influence biological processes enhancing our understanding of this fascinating realm that just sounds like corporate gobbledygook to me but um the um yeah there's there's potentially a lot of diagnostic data that could be taken from the eye the iris etc and um I don't know. again it's one of those things where how much is the market hype way out in front of the actual reality and that's that's what I'm I want to get to and so I'll I'll save the other stories because it's way later than I was anticipating but oh uh, you, you know what, I'll cover this one because it is is sort of germane right now so of course LeBron James son um had a cardiac event on the core and um i think i think it was enough 
that this actually broke the back of uh, Ian Copeland because uh, he he had uh, he made a balls up of uh, this paper um, which has just come out uh, sex specific differences in myocardial injury incidents after COVID nineteen mRNA twelve seventy three booster and um, I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We've covered cardiac stuff a lot. We know about the signals for um, myocarditis um, and what those numbers really are. It's, I don't know if we'll ever get the truth now, but um, you know we can we can look at some of the data that's come out, and you know the numbers of twenty percent of people and it being um, gender specific, right? Males seem more at risk than females. Again, that that would be a big tick box on any potential. Uh, weapon design that you were aiming for and um you know this it's not a uh, it, it, i don't want to make this the focus right now it's here if you want to if you want to read the paper please go ahead it's not anything that we don't know right now um there's the link and let's see i copied it from one of jack's articles um yeah, it sounded uh, contrived somewhat. Didn't sound like you, dude. All right, so um, I want to I want to get to this. Right, this is this is the important part of the stream, and it's it's going to involve me going into a couple of important papers. Um, some I'm going to have to touch on just briefly and i want to i want to start pulling the streams in the direction of this we've spent feels like eternity to me talking about the role of amyloids etc and um, how they can be leveraged uh, for what could be called quote unquote neurostrike and um i think bundled up in that package comes the uh, the research directions that mm, not covert, over over enhancement that they would be trying to achieve uh, through next generation um, brain computer interfaces. So um, let's listen to Nikki Haley, Halley, last name, but um, I believe she was governor of where Republican, I want to say, um, but now she works for the UN. Uh, former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley gave the Asian Leadership Conference a stark warning about the growing threat from Communist China four years later. She thinks that the threat has only grown, says lawmakers from both sides of the aisle have failed to meet the China challenge. Join us now to talk about that, her economic agenda, and more former U.S. Uh, ambassador to the UN, former governor of South Carolina and presidential candidate uh, Nikki Haley. Good, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. It's good to have you here. <clears throat> We have such a strange uh, relationship with China. It's so important to the world and yet so fraught with, with, with risk and peril. Uh, it, do you have a way to, to, uh, to try to walk that line? Well, first, let's open our eyes. Let's be honest about what's happening. You know, you, you sit there and you see blinking going and, 
and trying to appease China and Yellen saying, oh, let's do more business with China. But the reality is, you know, if you look at Yellen's conversation, she said, well, you know, it shouldn't be a winner take all scenario. It should be something where, you know, we play by the rules and we can be fair competitors. But but if to even say that means you don't understand China. China only plays with a winner take all scenario. They've never played by the rules. They don't. Is her jaw clenching? Um, I, I was looking at that. I don't know her enough to say whether that's just her normal postural tone or not or anything. But uh, she certainly, how should I say, seems a little tense around the jawline. That was that was my impression. But I don't know enough about this lady. She's not been on my radar enough to um, really call it one way or the other. But um, yes, it's a good observation. See us as a competitor. They see us as an enemy. This is the biggest threat we've had since Pearl Harbor. And just look at what they've done. The infiltrate. Wait, wait. Atensi says Nikki Haley. Her real name is Nimarata Randawa. Is that true? <laughs> I can't check that. Is that true? You gassing me? They've done in our country. They've bought 400,000 acres of U.S. soil, most recently near Grand Forks Air Force Base, where our most sensitive drone technology is. They bought the largest pork producer in the country. They have spy balloons going over us. But you look, they go and they spend millions of dollars in our universities to spread Chinese propaganda. They have Chinese front companies lobbying our Congress on behalf of the Communist Party. And then you look at the military that what they're doing. Largest naval fleet in the world, 350 ships. They'll have 400 ships in two years. We won't even have 350 ships. Hey, yeah, that's true. Where's that from? I Indian. Okay. Uh, like American Indian? Uh, is that where it's from? It's, it's a... Okay, learn something new every day. Oh, look, I encourage... Uh, I encourage... Uh, um red-skinned brothers uh, to get into the political process. Why'd she change her name, though? ...in two decades, and now they've become a big developer of neurostrike weapons. Yeah. Which... So, um, the uh, former Republican, so it says she was um, governor of South Carolina um, in office from 2011 to January 24th, 2017 and uh she now works for the un and the the topic of discussion is neuro strike well you know again i would i would give that um it could encompass many many things which is again why i want to um talk about and I say, i'm i'm done to death on the neuro invasive prion inducing capacities of spike protein viral particles etc etc if that's new to you please go watch the, the <laughs> i want to say thousands thousands of streams where i've just spent endless hours going through papers explaining what that is uh that's curry indian not redskin thank you maples thank you um I, I wouldn't have tagged her for coming from the Indian subcontinent. Um, I'm presuming there's some white genes in there. She doesn't look like a curry chomper to me. But, meh. You know, they've got, they do a good line in uh, skin lightening products, right? I guess. Uh, so, 
anyway, the the I've got what I was saying now about Nearest Strike. God damn it. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a fancy way of talking about all these different technologies. And so there's um, there's been updates, and you, I I could make the argument that I've been arguing about SARS and agents like it as a it fits the category of Neurostrike, strike right which is well she's going to explain it right now explain to us Neurostrike. strike what was the name again <laughs> find it um nimrata nimrata randawa um explain to us Neurostrike. strike come on go in and impair brain function and they use that for military leaders for for major populations, they're developing hypersonic missiles. We've barely started. I mean, the list goes on. The scariest things that people... Okay, so um, that's that's about as much as she's going to mention it. But it's being seeded into the public's consciousness. And again, I, would, I could make a very, very strong argument for SARS being, being um, a strike incapacitation agent it fits all the criteria and we're going to look at some very very recent data which um, confirms the potentially the worst case scenario and so i want to i want to look at that before flipping and going towards the brain machine interface and and just i'm going to take the time to read through the literature like i do with the sars papers and manuscripts and um and this is very much in my technical area and expertise i've got um many many decades of using this type of technology and i want to just see how far the public face of it is is going how how realistic is the encompassing Monica, that they're giving it right now, Neurostrike, how, how real is it? Um, and again, what's coming towards us? Um, Lloyd Brown says, she was ambassador to UN under Trump for a few years. She's running for president as a Republican. She pulled down Confederate statues and is altogether horrible. Um, look at her face versus her arm. She's caked in makeup. <laughs> Daughter of pale faces. Oh, the chat is so knowledgeable. I love it. I would, I would never know. I wouldn't even think to go uh, looking for uh, these particular details. But here it is, just uh, served to me on a on a platter. Um, so neurostrike. Back to neurostrike. So let's let's minimise this. And you know, I've had this tab up for a while I, i've sort of touched on it it is relatively recent but the effects of covid19 on cognitive performance in a community-based cohort covid19 symptom study biomark prospective cohort study um again i've been arguing for uh, many a year now that sars makes a particular beeline for the brain and you know i just had the misfortune I guess, of um, having the stars line up that it, it did a number on me. Um, <laughs> Spag Swarm Intelligence. <laughs> yes. 
Spag swarm intelligence. I love it. <laughs> so anyway, this this isn't anything new to us, right? The um the post COVID state is um. I'm not sure how unique it is compared to other post-viral states that involve neuroinvasive, neurotropic viruses. And um, I think what we're seeing is that it's just impacting so many more people that um, we're just filling in the dots with respect to the the scope of symptoms that can emerge and the, um, ah, the, the, neural, the neural basis of it, right? And brain fog, myalgia, right? Which basically just means muscle and joint pains where there's no obvious injury to the limb or joint or tissue. Right, and uh, these sort of constellation of symptoms that you went to a doctor not so long ago and th they would just write it off as psychosomatic, functional neurological disorder, etc., etc. And I think I've, I've been of the opinion for many years because I've been subject to uh, the effects um, of these uh, states that, no, there's, there's a long-term change going on in the central nervous system and you know we'll we'll see how much this interfaces and interlocks with the emergence of canonical neurological disorders and i i think that we'll see the epidemiological evidence uh, for that i'm sure if I, I went digging in the literature now we would see um more of a continuum with respect to data now that we could, you know, the term idiopathic Parkinson's, which just means Parkinson's of unknown cause, same with Alzheimer's, all, all these other um, neurodegenerative states, we now are potentially tracing back where they could come from. And of course, genetic is a big factor, but the um, environmental insults and that if the environment can do it and the environment meaning uh, pathogens, then of course that would be explored as a um, weapons type platform, an incapacitation type platform. And there's been a new, new, new study come out, Nature Communications. And the, the question has been, right, that um, how how is SARS getting into the brain? And so there are a number of different routes that it could take. And obviously the olfactory bulb and its projection into a very deep primal networks of the brain, the limbic um, architecture, is of prime concern. But the there's been a question, and it's been one in my mind, which is in instances where people do not suffer from the anosmia, the loss, the loss of smell and the loss of taste, is that person still at risk from the um, 
neuroinvasive properties of SARS. And what this paper does is it argues very strongly for that you don't have to display those symptoms and it's strain agnostic with respect to neuroinvasion in a model system. And in this instance, it's, uh, I want to say it's Syrian hamsters. And so I want, I want to take a look at this because this, again, fills in the dots with respect to, joins the dots with respect to, is this a, can we class this as a neurostrike weapon? If it's lab origin, which I think that the data significantly points in that direction so whoever whoever was responsible and tinkering around with these things was taking an extraordinary risk and the potential fallout is I, i'm not sure what it what it looks like um it looks like it looks like the kind of chaos you see right now with covid zombies coming out at you left right and center and uh it all oh, it all turned into <laughs> turned into oh wow Romando, thank you very much sir you can have a saddam drip just for you <laughs> time to get can peeled <laughs> So let's let's have a look at this, right? And like I say, there's nothing there's nothing new in this that we didn't really know with respect to SARS neuroinvasiveness and the, the areas of the brain. What what this paper shows is is that all all strains tested have neuroinvasive capacity, and importantly, and this is something that again the data was there early on that the severity of the symptom, the acute symptom profile is not an is not a real indicator of if it's neuroinvasive or not and so this is this is where we get into this very very um sketchy um let's see kev a new field is added to the fauci dot monster dono link Need to pass. Oh, okay. Um, what is is that working right now? What happens if I go there? That's right, folks. Uh, if you want to, um, I don't, I don't see any anything new. Um, security saved my information for what? Well, you know, um, go there and use the <laughs> use the payment. Be generous, like Ormando, folks. Uh, let's see. Username so people can optionally populate for the alert to come up here in the chat. Username is optional. It's gonna be. Oh, I see. It's gonna it's gonna trigger the uh, chat. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, Stream fags, we're coming for you, coming for you. All right, so let's let's get back to this. So. Anosmia was identified as a hallmark of COVID-19 early in the pandemic. However, with the emergence of variants of concern, the clinical profile induced by SARS-CoV-2 infection has changed with anosmia being less frequent. It's true. And, and 
it's part of the uh, the overall mm, diagnostic criteria shifting to one of it being um, more mild in its presentation generally. Uh, da, 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 da. Here we assess the clinical olfactory and neuroinflammatory conditions of golden hamsters. So remember, it's hamsters, folks, not people. And, you know, all models have limitations. Infected with original Wuhan SARS. I'm sure what I got. It's isogenic ORF7 deletion mutant and free variants, gamma, delta, and omicron BA1. We show that infected animals develop a variant-dependent clini clinical disease, including anosmia, and the ORF7 of SARS-CoV-2 contributes to the induction of olfactory dysfunction. Conversely, all SARS-CoV-2 SARS variants are neuroinvasive regardless of the clinical presentation they induce. Taken together, this confirms that neuroinvasion and anosmia are independent phenomenon on SARS-CoV-2 infection using new, newly generated nanoluciferase expressing SARS-CoV-2. We validate the olfactory pathway as a major entry point into the brain in vivo and demonstrate in vitro that SARS-CoV-2 travels retrogradely and anterogradely along axons in microfluidic neuron epithelial networks. Um, some, uh, interesting new methods uh, being demonstrated here. And again, I'd, I've spent so long on these mechanisms. I don't, I don't want to spend a whole bunch on this, um, this particular element of neuro strike. Okay. I want to, I want to get to this. Oh. Um, AI tissue-like multifunctional optoelectronic mesh for deep brain modulation and mapping. just want to take a look at, um, it's not just Charles Lieber, but uh, what uh, other people are up to. And I want to move towards uh, this paper. Where do we now, where do we stand now regarding treatments of psychiatric and neurodegenerative disorders Considerations in using magnetoelectric nanoparticles as an innovative approach. Now, neuroinvasive neurotropic agents are likely, especially, especially by being able to target limbic networks. Now, I thought about doing a more formal presentation, again, just laying out what happens when those networks get disturbed, how that manifests in, in very, very acute um, primate models, right? And, you know, that's where I was sort of cutting my teeth on um, SARS originally because uh, I, well, I had the clinical and basic science experience and I believe that I was... Uh, I got first-hand experience of what that neuroinvasive potential could be like, um, particularly if you are older um, and had predispositions uh, through injury, trauma, etc., like I did. So it's going to take us a while to walk through some of the available tech to 
this where where they're starting to talk about these next-gen technologies being able to non-invasively get them into the brain and attempt to modulate higher-order function, right? So in Parkinson's, the motor system is generally well-conserved within all vertebrates, right? We can see the basics of the system. It might be larger and more complex in some mammals and vertebrates versus others, but, you know, the, the evolutionary pattern is somewhat constrained and well-defined. And as the brain evolves and the complexity increases and you get towards the the apes and the great apes and you get the the folding and the packing and the brain folds over and you increase complexity um the the cognitive and limbic regions increase in size and complexity but they generally appear anatomically to use the same selection and control architecture that is part of the corticobasal ganglia cerebellar networks. Okay. And it's I'm frying a lot of words at you, but it, it's a complex topic and like I said, I'm hopefully gonna have someone uh who's worked on the inside with these particular people so we can get um a more formal um presentation on the work that they've they've been up to. So Let's go back to this. Um, you know, I'll, I'll quickly just go through the figures. Um, this figure, G, olfactory performance at three days uh, post-infection. And you can see that the Wuhan strain, um, basically it takes a long time for the hamster to find hidden treats and uh delta and omicron it's much much quicker the latency is much 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 quicker so that's kind of what the that figure is pointing out i want to get past this and um this technology that they've used which i guess is to put in a reporter um fluorescent um protein into their virus constructs and they've got some way of fluorescing it and looking at whole brain images and they can see that uh, yes it's it's getting into the brain now you know again as i was saying the architecture of a hamster we can see the basics there but as the primate brain evolves the uh, everything expands and um, not just uh, not just motor systems, but there there are analogs of each subsystem that we can try and divide the brain functionally into. Again, limbic, associative, cognitive, and motor, sensory motor, if you like. And this is, oh, you know, I don't know how well this um, technique has been validated. I mean, it's got a nature communication, so... 
I, I, I don't need to be convinced of SARS' ability to penetrate into the central nervous system. And the... Mm, what are we looking at here? Um, oh, this is their microfluidic... Uh, test and so what what are they talking about with ortho and antidromic so antidromic just means that it's traveling back up a nerve fiber and then jumping to the next or the, we call that primary and then secondary um, network and it can also go um, orthodromically which means it'll travel forward along an axon that's that's how we sort of describe this stuff and yeah oh shit uh, i guess the uh, other interesting finding here is that orf 7 seems to be critical for loss of smell um again uh i don't want to spend too much time on this just that this agent has this um this property that would fit um the the characteristics and the ideal platform for quote-unquote neurostrike a day from a weapons perspective that's it and um i think the the last the last paragraph sums it up so despite the occurrence or not of anosmia SARS-CoV-2 can infect olfactory sensory neurons and the olfactory bulb and we show herein that the virus can infect neurons travel inside the axons with retrograde anterior grade directions SARS-CoV-2 neuroinvasion was hypothesized to occur by axonal transport via cranial nerves olfactory vagus trigeminal or by hematogenous route, hematogenous just meaning blood. The data presented herein do not support hematogenous diffusion of SARS-CoV-2 toward the brain, but corroborate the hypothesis of the olfactory pathway as a potential portal of entry towards the olfactory bulbs. Brain infection via the olfactory pathway therefore seems a common feature of coronaviruses. Again, I would... Um, I, I think the limitations of the model are speaking here, and again, gut as a area of entry, the, the nerves innervating the lungs, etc. Anywhere that it can um, begin to make that jump, it obviously seems to have this property of being able to um, traverse axons. And um, in, uh, let's see, Nelson says, Physical brain architecture ought to be a breath of fresh air from my asthma of biochemical gobbledygook. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, you, you can kind of visualize the brain, right? And the, there's a conceptual leap when you have to get down to neurons and synapses, etc. And it does get into biochemical gobbledygook as well. Um, and electrical gobbledygook too but um this i think is the how should we say the it's one it's one side of neuro one facet of neurostrike as a as a concept right? and the other is um these these technologies now i've covered charles lieber before and the 
why did, why why was I covering him before? Well, obviously his arrest at the time of the breakout of the pandemic, he was involved in not the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but another institute in Wuhan. And um, he was basically part of the Thousand Talents program and had developed a name for himself for developing these mesh like intra cranial recording preparations and they're they're quite elegant but what i what i wanted to do is to try to um maybe maybe try and relay to you how difficult it is to modulate behavior with these these types of setups, right? So neuroinvasion via a pathogen of whatever form, um, if it acts like SARS, will induce a statistically probable result with respect to incapacitation, long-term effects, and the push into the prodromal state towards neurodegeneration. That's, that's the working hypothesis, right? And so you've shunted, you're actually having an impact on behavior. And so... You know, people people have a conception about the brain-machine type interfaces that are emerging in the current environment, and they think that they're going to be able to take hijack your brain or modulate it in such a way that these people can achieve um, desired effects and impacts on behavior. And I'm very very skeptical of the ability of them to do that beyond what we've seen already with um, technology we've had for many a decade like deep brain stimulation can you trigger um, a machine to do a series of tasks by reading your neuronal activity absolutely can you input and write and you know finely tune uh neurons etc uh, i think we're very very far away from that type of technology and um this this paper is somewhat somewhat recent and in it i want i want to take a look at their um their modulation right because the presumption would be that once you start tinkering or modulating a network, you can you can induce behaviors. And you know the f the first thing that I'll tell you is that you see you see very very little of them talking about overt behavior. And I've looked through Charles Lieber's work, and he's very much an engineer that's geared towards making these next generation probes as are the individuals um pardo and kisroev um they seem and i've said this before neuroscience is going towards what appears to be an engineering discipline rather than um i, I don't know what what i was sort of trained biology and um uh, well i guess there's a 
some engineering, but uh, it's 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 going. I think of it as all the all the resources are being pushed towards computational processing interface, etc. It's it's um, oh, it breaks my heart. That's what it does. It breaks my heart that it's it's doing that, but it's I guess it's inevitable. Um, all right, so this may seem very very dry um to you but i think it's critical to try to understand the state of the art with respect to their um their technologies and what what we see what they'll give us in the paper and what's missing okay that's that's why i'm doing this okay and again the intention being i want to get to this paper where they're talking about where they want to take this technology with respect to psychiatric and neurodegenerative conditions or disorders um it's a <laughs> it's a grift that i played for a long long time that's not really a grift but um it's the same language that i would use and um you know the <laughs> oh look when you when you look at the paper right and um Go down. Uh, Dr. Sakrat Kisroev is supported by the projects from uh, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, Naval Information Warfare Center, and under contract, National Science Foundation, Air Force Office of Scientific Research, yada, yada, yada. All, this is all heavily funded by the military. I don't think they're that concerned about your mental health. In this particular instance, licks bills. We have updated McCann Dojo. Thanks, Albert. Oh, thank you. Um, is it? Is it? Uh, what's it doing now? It's streaming working. Yes, there it is. Victory. <laughs> victory. Victory. Um, uh, we talk you listen says uh, without your brain mesh insert you'll be considered retarded now again um, you know I don't, I, I'm not sure how much them being able to write into your uh, neural networks is going to be a thing um, what's going to be a thing is being able to interpret intent and well goal a goal directed behavior and and have a machine initiate a series of uh events right and i don't know i mean if you could I don't know, let's, I'm trying to think of something that would have a sort of, yeah, so, you, you know, like a, a fighter pilot, right? So um, think of uh, a high-speed connection with drone swarms and being able to receive their information. Now, I don't think you would have much in the way of, like, projected images on the brain. I think that's very far away, but certainly video feeds and watching the video feeds and having to make very quick combat type 
decisions. That's where this particular tech is being aimed at. The couching it in. Oh, <laughs> you feeling a bit down, are you today? <laughs> we'll dial in some uh, some bliss for you. Um, so, um, let's let's start with the abstract, and then we'll get into the paper. So. Development of a multifunctional device that achieves optogenetic neuromodulation and extracellular mapping is crucial for understanding neural circuits and treating brain disorders. Yeah, again, same language. Although various devices have been explored for this purpose, it is challenging to develop biocompatible optogenetic devices that can seamlessly interface with the brain. Herein, we present a tissue-like optoelectronic mesh with a compact interface that enables not only high spatial and temporal resolutions of optical stimulation, but also the sampling of optically evoked neural activities. So basically, they just mean when an action potential is fired, or groups of action potentials. Um, looking at their recordings there it's it's very noisy multi-unit activity we would call it it's not uh it's uh, that's just noisy trash as far as i'm concerned um but it's still a signal that you could work with and a machine that most certainly could work with all right so yes tissue like uh we did that we did that um did that an in vitro experiment in hydrogel showed efficient light propagation through a freestanding su8 waveguide that was integrated with flexible mesh electronics additionally an in vivo implantation of the tissue like optoelectronic mesh in the brain of a live transgenic mouse enabled the sampling of optically evoked neural signals Therefore, this multifunctional device can aid the chronic modulation of neural circuits and behavior studies for developing biological and therapeutic applications. And again, um, to me, there's a lot of uh, big claims or goals being stated in this abstract that I don't think are quite there. You know what I'm going to look for? Um, Lieber has... Uh, video maybe watch we've we've watched it before um but it might just um it's the one let's have Temp this this will help set the um yeah Jovi. it's uh that's a bit of a predatory journal um but people test the donation button yes test the donation button come on This method can help answer key questions in the field of neuroscience, such as how aging processes manifest in the brain. <laughs> oh man, the script you learn as a PhD student. <laughs> I've got to speed this up. Um... How the brain develops and how brain diseases originate and progress. 
The main advantage of this technique is that mesh electronics do not elicit a chronic immune response in gliosis once implanted into the brain, and allows for seamless integration with the surrounding neural tissue. Demonstrating the procedure will be Tao Zhou, a graduate student in the Libra Group, and Zheng Min Li, a postdoc in the Libra Group. To begin the procedure, load a clean silicon wafer into a thermal evaporator and evaporate 100 nanometers of nickel. Next, spin coat SU8 2000.5 negative photoresist onto the wafer at 4000 revolutions per minute for an approximate SU8 thickness of 400 to 500 nanometers. Load the wafer into a mask aligner to expose the SU8 with photolithography mask 1 corresponding to the bottom mesh SU8 layer. So, um, this is obviously photolithography to get the, um, their mesh, right? And this, what we're going to look at is a evolution of this um, device, I guess, uh, or, or brain probe that enables them to do the uh, optogenetics. Air. Expose at an eyeline dose of 100 millijoules per square centimeter. Then, immerse the wafer in a tray of SU8 developer. Gently agitate the solution for two minutes until the mesh pattern in the SU8 has been fully developed. Then, rinse the wafer in a tray of isopropyl alcohol for one minute and blow dry. Hard bake the wafer on a hot plate at 180 degrees Celsius for one hour. Afterward, spin coat LOR3A onto the wafer at 4000 revolutions per minute for an approximate thickness of 300 nanometers. Spin coat S1805 positive photoresist at 4000 revolutions per minute for an approximate thickness of 500 nanometers. Subsequently, load the wafer into a mask aligner to expose the S1805 with photolithography mask 2 corresponding to the metal interconnects and input-output pads. Expose at an H-line dose of 40 millijoules per square centimeter. Then, immerse the wafer in a tray of CD26 photoresist developer. Gently agitate the solution for one minute until the metal interconnects pattern has been fully developed. Rinse the wafer in a tray of deionized water for one minute and blow it dry. Next, thermally evaporate 3 nanometers of chromium followed by 80 nanometers of gold. Immerse the wafer into a flat beaker of remover PG for approximately 3 hours until the metal has fully undercut, leaving the metal only in the desired interconnect and input-output pad regions of mesh electronics. Repeat spin coating, lithography, evaporation, and liftoff to leave 3 nanometers of chromium and 50 nanometers of platinum in the electrode regions. Subsequently, repeat spin coating and photo. It's to me, it's um, it's it's impressive that we've <laughs> we've got these technologies down to where we get you know we've we've got this ability to coat these. These medals. It's uh, I said this with Spartacus. Um, Lieber Lab has uh, some engineering skills. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, I don't believe them when they say that they're they're thinking about your grandpa and his Parkinson's. Photolithography of SU8 to define the top SU8 mesh layer. Treat the wafer with oxygen plasma at 50 watts for one minute. 
Afterward, immerse the wafer into nickel etchant solution for approximately three hours until the mesh electronics have completely been released from the silicon wafer. Use a Pasteur pipette to transfer the released mesh electronics probes from nickel etchant to a 100 milliliter beaker of deionized water. Then, transfer the mesh electronics to a fresh beaker of deionized water at least three times to ensure rinsing. To load the mesh electronics into a needle, insert a glass capillary needle into the 100 milliliter beaker of PBS containing the mesh electronics. Position the end of the needle near the input-output pads of a mesh electronics probe and manually retract the syringe to draw a mesh electronics probe into the needle. Push and pull the syringe plunger while it is still immersed in saline to adjust the position of mesh electronics within the needle. To inject mesh electronics into a mouse brain, use a dental drill and stereotaxic frame to open a craniotomy at the desired coordinates on the skull. Open a second craniotomy away from the injection site for the insertion of a stainless steel grounding screw or wire. Then, fix a clamping substrate to the skull with dental cement. An approximately 1 mm wide cut in the substrate improves the reliability of the folding step later in the procedure. Afterward, mount the pipette holder with the needle containing mesh electronics into the stereotaxic frame using a right angle end clamp. Attach the side outlet of the pipette holder to a 5 ml syringe fastened in a syringe pump with a 0.5 to 1 meter long capillary tubing. Then, use the stereotaxic frame to position the tip of the needle at the desired starting location within the brain. Position the camera to display the... Oh, you don't see that. That's weird. Huh. See that? That's interesting. Like, it's playing for me, but it won't be picked up by the screen capture. Ah, what, what trickery is this? Oh, that was, that's a shame. The top of the mesh electronics oh, yeah, probe it's, it's within the glass you. needle. Hmm. I wonder if uh, there's a YouTube version or can I this? Ah, let's uh, let's do this. Oh, fuck you. Uh, browser. Working? That works. Oh, that's that's a shame. Oh, because that 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 would have made my job um much much easier. Uh, join the mystery of ill. <laughs> yes, but I wanted this. Uh, I wanted this for your edification. Um, uh, let's let's just see if uh, YouTube. So.
I, I was I was hypnotized by the um That really sucks. Mm, not anything I can find. Well, we'll just have to get into the paper and I'll do my best to. So, you know, what, what they were describing there is very, very close to what I'm going to describe to you here, which is a mesh grid that will be injected into the brain. It, it's sort of, you're floating it into the brain, we would say. And then in this case, they're going to use optogenetics. And optogenetics usually requires um, that you would have a uh, viral vector that would express something called a chromophore uh, receptor on the surface of the neuron that you're hoping to excite or suppress through um, colored light, blue, red, etc. And the, the way that it's done, well, just in my generation, was that it was a, uh, like a single um, fiber optic cable and, you know, and this expanding out into this mesh type electronics now enables you to have a recording electrode and uh, a you have to think of it as like a port that will allow through the light to interact with the neuron that you're trying to record from um <laughs> that's a shame i was visualizing that through creepy voice very well <laughs> oh man um i'm i'm bummed that that's uh, uh no um yeah, just uh, I want. I wanted to do. So, um. All right. Let's let's get into the paper. Um, it will be a dry engineering paper, I'm afraid. So, um, it's PDF. Wait, I had this, had this open. Wait. Oh, the supporting information. Ah. Wait, let's see if I can get this paper. Well, we might just we might just go to the uh, <laughs> fuck Lieber, fuck Lieber in his uh, hard access to uh, his science. We'll get to um, this one, which is where I was aiming for. Uh, let's, let's do. All right, so now maybe um, uh, 
So, neural modulation and recording are essential for neuroscience research and electrical and optical approaches have been developed in both realms. I agree. Although electrical stimulation is the current clinical standard for neural stimulation, inherent limitations remain, remain such as non-target cell stimulation and a stimulation ability that decreases with time. In contrast, optogenetic stimulation allows for biochemical neuromodulation and provides cell type specificity while being time resolved to the millisecond time scale. Thus, multifunctional devices that can achieve both optogenetic stimulation and extracellular recording are promising candidates for neural probes. Particularly, using these devices, neural modulation and recording can be simultaneously performed with high spatial and temporal resolutions in neural circuits of the deep brain. Such a synergistic application can also target neuron subtypes electrophysiologically via opto-tagging. Recently, silicon-based probes and optical fiber-based multifunctional devices have been developed to investigate complex brain circuitry and chronic brain illnesses such as Parkinson's disease and epilepsy. However, the substantial mechanical mismatch between these devices and soft brain tissues can elicit severe foreign body reactions in the tissue and extensively disrupt the device neuron interface. By far, an optoelectronic device that can chronically interface with the same group of neurons is yet to be developed. In addition, polymer-based electronics integrated with microscale light-emitting diodes have been developed for improved biocompatibility. Despite the effectiveness of such devices, the intrinsic li limitations of micro-LED illumination, such as limited spatial and temporal resolutions, and heating of neural circuits to some extent hinder their practical applications. Therefore, wave-guided based optogenetic probes with outstanding biocompatibility are necessary to address these issues. Bio-inspired mesh electronics enable chronic neuronal mapping at the single unit level, showing the possibility of a combination with tissue mimicking optoelectronic devices. In this work, we demonstrate a new optogenetic probe, the optoelectronic tissue-like injectable mesh probe, which provides not only high spatial and temporal resolutions of optical stimulation, but also stable, reliable extracellular recording data. By integrating a 10 millimeter long SU8 waveguide with mesh electronics, light propagation through the freestanding SU8 waveguide was first proven in vitro. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, what do I see first off? So um, they're just uh, here, it looks like they're testing different um, brain probes. Um, so the classic optical fiber, multifunctional fiber, metal, <laughs> which is what I would use. Flexible probes, Michigan probe, which is uh, lots of, um, it's stiff but has lots of contacts on it, I want to say. And then the mesh electronics, and then we've got some measure of bending stiffness um, in nanometers. And, you know, from... The like a nineties rave graphic, <laughs> yes. So um, there's there's lots of advantages here for sure. For sure, it's next generation um, interfaces and stuff. But um, I want to see 
right? My my hunch is that they um, they're unable to really modulate the behavior of that animal. Perhaps I'll be surprised, but let us see. So um, what can we see here? We can see the basically the lattice work for the um, the mesh, and then um, contacts and I presume they're metal contacts for the cording and um, I'm I'm going to make a presumption just a presumption on my part that the waveguides all light up right with so you could think of it like a, a beam of light like a fiber optic basically that's that's how you got to think of it and so there there would be a spatial resolution between the contacts in the brain and the uh, the waveguides going in and you could pulse the different waveguides depending on what you were seeing on the different electrodes and in this particular instance they've got 16 um contacts so yeah, 16 channel platinum recording electrodes. Yeah, so that's significantly less than their previous generations, um, where they were, I'm guessing they were using a different substrate to um, build the mesh, and they, they had like 64 contacts, etc. Okay, so um, let's jump in. So, efficient light. Injection was then achieved in the target tissues with stable single-unit neural signals being recorded. Moreover, opt-in probes were deployed in vivo in transgenic mice with the expression of channel rhodopsin 2, which showed the real-time electrophysiological sampling of optically evoked signals. So that's another upgrade that they've been able to um, get a knock-in mouse with um, channel rhodopsin. Um, usually, you would use a viral vector and that's always been the big hurdle with respect to um well any model that the that there's a time limit on how long uh the rhodopsins will the channels will last and so it, deep brain stimulation through platinum electrodes um beats it by orders of magnitude with respect to just being able to pulse a signal into the brain. Um, but if you've got a, a knock-in mouse that's basically making channel rhodopsin all the time, um, then that gets around that problem. But uh, <laughs> don't, they can't uh, they can't knock in uh, genes to you yet, Lickspittle, so don't worry. Um, so figure 1A left. Yes, yes, we know about uh, that. Let's move on we've done figure 1a right so stiffness we've done that so because of the flexibility of it the optim structure can be integrated with neural networks with minimal immune response facilitating the recording of signals from neurons closer to the waveguide Okay, so what are they saying there? So usually when you put something um, into the brain tissue, eventually the brain encapsulates it with basically scar tissue, um, gliosis. Um, let's see. 
to integrate a polymer waveguide with injectable mesh electronics while maintaining the flexibility of the waveguide to be implanted into the blame, we rationally designed the opt-in structure as follows. The methods and figures S2. The opt-in structure is composed of three distinct functional parts, platinum electrodes for electrophysiology, waveguide for optical stimulation, and three um, digital I.O. pads for electrical connection. The recording electrodes and I.O. pads are electrically connected by the stem part thick red region. The waveguide can be further divided into two parts, including one for neuron stimulation, uh, the other for polymer optical fiber coupling. The waveguide was also designed according to the following specifications. The waveguide is fabricated using a thin and soft SU8 polymer. Using the SU8 waveguide can be simply fab fabricated by photolithography, which is what you listen to for, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that was, five, six minutes with no images. That's a shame we didn't get to see that. Um, has excellent biocompatibility. The waveguide is positioned near the stem part to prevent it from overlapping and tangling by leveraging the strength of the stem. Um, and, uh, yes, care of that. Um, Next, the optim structure was fabricated using 2D photolithography. Briefly after the fabrication of the 16-channel mesh, an SU8 waveguide was patterned using an additional photolithography step. Now, um, 16 channels look when i was when i were a lad 16 channels was uh oof, that was, you'd you'd have been pushing pushing the limits with respect to um well what did they used to call them uh, tetrodes tetrodes were the the big thing on when i when I was sort of starting and yeah people would hand make them and um i was i liked uh Single unit, we call it single unit uh, electrophysiology. So you've got very, very sharp tip that's able to get very, very close and has generally uh, somewhat high resistance. So it cuts out a lot of the background noise. So you can just see the, the action potential. Um, but, you know, 16 channels today is not, is not so impressive. And, um, you know the the chance the chances of you being able to modulate behavior through a setup like that i think would be very very limited but again maybe maybe i'll be surprised um so to assess whether light can propagate through the su8 waveguide in the optim we performed a coupling experiment between the waveguide and the tapered optical fiber First, the optim was placed in silicon oxide substrate and the substrate was cleaved to expose the two ends of the waveguide uh, we precisely aligned the tapered optical fiber uh, measurements careful vertical adjustment was performed using a free axis stage a main experiment showed light propagation through the 15 millimeter long SU8 waveguide. So they've got to have something coming out of the skull of the mouse, right, to be able to guide your um, LED light into. So this is what they're talking about here. 
We asked whether it would be possible to efficiently couple light from the tapered optical fiber to the waveguide without cleaving the substrate. To this end, we designed the coupling part of the waveguide and a 3D trapezoid shape, which can increase the misalignment tolerance between the fiber and the waveguide and eliminate the cleaving process. Fabricate waveguides with the design coupling part. Several photolithography steps were performed. Yes, yes. In addition, yes, yes. That. Um, yeah, we don't need that. Um, to quantify the coupling efficiency between the waveguide and tapered optical fiber, we mounted the curved waveguide in silicon oxide substrate and measured the output power at the tip of the waveguide. By employing a curved waveguide, the detection of uncoupled light and the measurement can be prevented. The tapered fiber was aligned with the trapezoid shape coupling part of the curved waveguide. The output light of the tip of the waveguide was collected using a 20 times objective lens. Yeah, so um, if you look in here, there was, you can see this experiment, kind of. So it's it's all very dry, um, but it's important to understand where the technology is at. And they're talking about um, light propagation and then light dispersal. And this is this is the setup that they're using. So there's a waveguide, and then you can see the um, guess the where they've done the photolithography of the mesh and you can see that it's going through and then it's going orthogonal to the input light through the through the waveguide if i don't know if that's visible to you on the screen so um you know that's a that's it's it's amazing once you start getting down into like the <laughs> practicalities of just getting stuff into the brain and you know things you know, things bending or you know, usually that's catastrophic. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting little technique that they're that they're lining up for you. Where's the Okay, so next we performed an in vitro experiment. So uh, they're just doing it in a gel. So, so figure three, in vitro demonstration of injectable optim, optical microscope image showing the in vitro pop, uh, implantation of the optin in hydrogel. Oh my God, hydrogel. Don't tell, uh, what was their name? Oh. Oh, carry my day, right? <laughs> the tip of the waveguide and the 16-channel platinum recording electrodes were implanted into hydrogel. The coupling part of the waveguide and IO pads in the mesh were laid down. And scale bar equals 3 millimeters. Yeah, these are tiny, tiny meshes. Um, insert shows the coupling interface between the tapered fiber and the waveguide. Yeah, so, you know, you can see... Um, these blue 
So you can see these blue spots coming in. So it's got it's got this dispersal pattern of where the light is shining through on uh, at a particular spot, which presumably is next to the um, the recording electrode. So let's let's get to neuroscience part. So finally, we deployed Optim in vivo. Optical stimulation and extracellular recording were simultaneously performed in the brain of a head-fixed transgenic mouse. The expression of channel rhodopsin two and yellow fluorescent protein. First, the Optim was injected into the hippocampal region of the mouse brain depth of four millimeters using the field review method. For implanting the platinum electrodes and waveguide tip, the coupling part of the waveguide was mounted on the silicon oxide substrate attached to the mouse skull. In addition, the IO pad part was positioned on the FFC to form an electrical connection to an external recording interface using the direct contact method. And we pre precisely aligned the tapered optical fiber to the coupling part of the waveguide. Finally, the entire interface, including the coupling part of the waveguide and the line tapered fiber, was fixed and secured by optical epoxy and dental cement, forming the ceramic cellular fiber interface. This is what we can see here. And yeah, I mean, it's these are standard um, techniques, somewhat. Um, the The and my initial take on this, right? Just just looking at their data right there, is that it's it's incredibly noisy, low quality data compared to um, what is achievable. And I guess I guess their big takeaway is that in one channel which they're highlighting here, D, we can see that there's a action potential, this thin black line occurring around when the light is pulsed into the brain. And if this is half a second, so you at four, four hertz round, say. Ten hertz, pulse width of five milliseconds. So I think I think that's their money shot for this paper. Right? And yeah, that's it. So this is the year 2021. Um we have look, I'm not saying it's not uh it's not an insignificant development to be able to flow in a chronic electrode and do optogenetic stimulation as a neuroscience tool um i could think of many many people who would geek out over such a device i on the other hand 
like my neuroscience to be, uh, how should we say, more... encompassing i want to see i want to see rapid changes in behavior switching of behavioral states from say a pathological state to a you know uh, something approximating more normal behavior or taking normal behavior and shunting the uh, animal into a a diseased uh, phenotype if you like um, but this this is state of the art right now with um, Charles Lieber and do I think they're close to um, human implantation with something like this? Not with not with optogenetics. That that can't work. Or it would be it would be a limited intervention in human beings because you need that channel rhodopsin to be able to be modulate the network that you're um, stimulating. And again, what's I would emphasize is that there's no behavior response in this um, in this paper. Now, you know, is Charles Lieber got some? some lab in China where they're able to, how should we say, push the boundaries with respect to uh, ethical work and interventions. Um, see, what do you think is going on here with this trance-like Senate aid? Fez Woody, I looked at that. Um, I believe that to be what's called Parkinsonian freezing. And um, it's common in someone like that who's being treated He's taking L-Dopa and other um, anti-Parkinsonian medications. So, are we, are we at this breakthrough point? Are we at the, um, call it, uh, the, not boundary condition, event horizon. Are we at the event horizon of this this technology exploding into um, common use in human beings. Not yet. What th this part of NeuroStrike is way, way behind the viral um, interaction. And the viral interaction is purely a negative impact. Okay. Now, you could be trying to argue that you can get signals through this type of setup, have it chronically implanted with little um, impact on the brain tissue, and you can hook up your pilots so that they can begin to, uh, I don't know, take control of the AI so that there's a human being in the loop. Now, why you would want to have <laughs> trode in the brain to do that when I think, I, I honestly think that, um, you know, retinal projection. Is is a better uh, approach. Um, I I don't know, but you know, um, who knows? In uh, fifty years, maybe uh, maybe there will be a um, functional use for this. And so, this is obviously one method. And another one that I want to get to is this one: um, carbon nanotubed 
based flexible and stretchable electronics. Now, this is um, not so much uh, about the brain so much, but it's there to sort of indicate that these sensors are, are being developed such that you could, um, again, so what's what's the direction that they're looking to go um, with respect to augmentation of the battlefield soldier? So exoskeletons is a big one, right? If you can if you can have a exoskeleton suit, so you can carry three times more than the average soldier, and um, you can march uh, twenty miles with that and get into a, a gunfight at the end of it then I don't know, <laughs> I can see why people would uh, put that in, but you need some, you need like a full spectrum covering of the body to be able to sort of do that. And so um, flexible electronics that would be embedded on the skin or under the skin so you could get muscle activity would be a, uh, a direction that you would go in to augment your brain machine interface and there was one other one which i wanted to look at which was again charles lieber which is stitching flexible electronics into the brain there was did i have another one which was um the uh there was one that was This one I wanted to look at, but it's 3 a.m. right now. And I'm going to do this one in the next one in lieu of getting to this paper, uh, which is the magnetoelectric nanoparticles. And we'll look at where this technology is and what I think are the limitations. And um, just... Just seeing neural activity is not, is not enough for me, right? I want to see changes in behavior, and I want to see you be able to go in and modulate that behavior. And there's, there's not many people who, who have done that. And, yeah, I'm, I'm one of them. I can uh, sit back and uh, wait for the, the world to catch up. Um, and I, I thought about going through maybe maybe what I'll do is a more formal presentation to give a um, an idea of what, what you know what I could do right and where where people like Charles Lieber are grabbing all the headlines and millions of dollars etc. It was something that was you know I I managed on a budget and. Uh, <laughs> Nietzsche, will to power. <laughs> so, snitches give stitches. Um, okay. Yeah, my batteries are running out. Um, let's see. Kevin, check DM with linked copy of that video from that paper. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, which DM? Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Ah, is that working? Yes. 
This method can help answer key questions in the field of neuroscience, such as how aging processes manifest in the brain, how the brain develops, and how brain diseases originate and progress. The main advantage of this technique is that mesh electronics do not elicit a chronic immune response in gliosis once implanted into the brain, and allows for seamless integration with the surrounding neural tissue. Demonstrating the procedure will be Tao Zhou, a graduate student in the Libra Group, and Jungmin Lee, a postdoc in the Libra is there a uh, Senate subcommittee in COVID right now? I don't know. I'm going to bed, so you can watch it. <laughs> group. To begin the procedure, load a clean silicon wafer into a thermal evaporator and evaporate 100 nanometers of nickel. Next, spin coat SU8 2000.5 negative photoresist onto the wafer at 4000 revolutions per minute for an approximate SU8 thickness of 400 to 500 nanometers. Load the wafer into a mask aligner to expose the SU8 with photolithography mask 1 corresponding to the bottom mesh SU8 layer. Expose at an eyeline dose of 100 millijoules per square centimeter. Then, immerse the wafer in a tray of SU8 developer. Gently agitate the solution for two minutes until the mesh pattern in the SU-8 has been fully developed. Then, rinse the wafer in a tray of isopropyl alcohol for one minute and blow dry. Hard bake the wafer on a hot plate at 180 degrees Celsius for one hour. Afterward, spin coat LOR3A onto the wafer at 4000 revolutions per minute for an approximate thickness of 300 nanometers. Spin coat S1805 positive photoresist at 4000 revolutions per minute for an approximate thickness of 500 nanometers. Subsequently, load the wafer into a mask aligner to expose the S1805 with photolithography mask 2 corresponding to the metal interconnects and input-output pads. Expose at an H-line dose of 40 millijoules per square centimeter. Then, immerse the wafer in a tray of CD26 photoresist developer. Gently agitate the solution for one minute until the metal interconnects pattern has been fully developed. Rinse the wafer in a tray of deionized water for one minute and blow it dry. Next, thermally evaporate 3 nanometers of chromium followed by 80 nanometers of gold. Immerse the wafer into a flat beaker of remover PG for approximately 3 hours until the metal has fully undercut, leaving the metal only in the desired interconnect and input-output pad regions of mesh electronics. Repeat spin coating, lithography, evaporation, and liftoff to leave 3 nanometers of chromium and 50 nanometers of platinum in the electrode regions. Subsequently, repeat spin coating and photolithography of SU8 to define the top SU8 mesh layer. Treat the wafer with oxygen plasma at 50 watts for one minute. Afterward, immerse the wafer into nickel etchant solution for approximately three hours until the mesh electronics have completely been released from the silicon wafer. Use a Pasteur pipette to transfer the released mesh electronics probes from nickel etchant to a 100 milliliter beaker of deionized water. Then, transfer the mesh electronics to a fresh beaker of deionized water at least three times to ensure rinsing. To load the mesh electronics into a needle, insert a glass capillary needle into the 100 milliliter beaker of PBS containing the mesh electronics. 
Position the end of the needle near the input-output pads of a mesh electronics probe and manually retract the syringe to draw a mesh electronics probe into the needle. Push and pull the syringe plunger while it is still immersed in saline to adjust the position of mesh electronics within the needle. To inject mesh electronics into a mouse brain, use a dental drill and stereotaxic frame to open a craniotomy at the desired coordinates on the skull. Open a second craniotomy away from the injection site for the insertion of a stainless steel grounding screw or wire. Then, fix a clamping substrate to the skull with dental cement. An approximately 1 mm wide cut in the substrate improves the reliability of the folding step later in the procedure. Afterward, mount the pipette holder with the needle containing mesh electronics into the stereotaxic frame using a right angle end clamp. Attach the side outlet of the pipette holder to a 5 ml syringe fastened in a syringe pump with a 0.5 to 1 meter long capillary tubing. Then, use the stereotaxic frame to position the tip of the needle at the desired starting location within the brain. Position the camera to display the top of the mesh electronics probe within the glass needle. Initiate the flow by setting the syringe pump to a low speed and pressing start. Slowly increase the flow rate if the mesh electronics probe does not move within the needle. As the mesh electronics probe starts to move within the needle, use the stereotaxic frame to retract the needle at the same rate as which the mesh electronics probe is being injected using the marked original position of mesh electronics as a guide. Continue flowing saline and retracting the needle until the needle has exited the skull. Then, stop the flow from the syringe pump. In this procedure, use the stereotaxic frame to carefully guide the needle to the flat flexible cable clamping substrate and across the gap flowing the solution with the syringe pump to generate a slack in the mesh electronics interconnects. Once the needle is above the clamping substrate and across the gap, resume the flow at a fast rate to eject the mesh electronics input-output pads onto the clamping substrate. Using tweezers and a pipette of deionized water, bend the input-output pads to 90-degree angle as close to the first input-output pad as possible. Once the input-output pads are aligned, unfolded, and at a 90-degree angle to the mesh stem, dry them in place with gently flowing compressed air. Cut the clamping substrate at a straight edge approximately 0.5 to 1 millimeters from the edge of the input-output pads. Also, cut off extraneous parts of the clamping substrate that will hinder the insertion into the PCB-mounted 32-channel ZIF connector. Then, Insert the input-output pads into the ZIF connector on the PCB and close the latch. Use measurement electronics to measure the impedance between the channels and the ground screw to confirm successful interfacing. If the impedance values are too high, unlatch the ZIF connector, adjust the insertion, and retest until successful connection is confirmed. Subsequently, cover the ZIF connector and exposed mesh electronics interconnects with dental cement for protection. Flip the PCB at the gap in the substrate and fix the PCB with cement onto the mouse skull.
For freely moving recordings, release the mouse from the restrainer after inserting the preamplifier PCB and grounding the reference screw. Record for the desired length of time using the data acquisition system while the mouse behaves freely. Shown here are the representative local field potential heat maps from the 32-channel mesh electronics probes injected into the mouse hippocampus and somatosensory cortex. Data were recorded while the mouse freely explored its cage at 2 months and 4 months post-injection. Local field potential amplitude is color-coded according to the color bar at the right. High-pass filtered traces, black, showing spiking activity are overlaid on the spectrogram for each of the 32 channels. Here are the spikes isolated after sorting the data plotted. Single unit spiking activity was detected on 26 of the 32 channels both 2 months post-injection and 4 months post-injection. While attempting this procedure, it's important to remember to test the I.O. interfacing to confirm successful electrical connection to the mesh electronics probe. The measured impedance helps troubleshoot the source of any problems and is critical to identify issues with interfacing or fabrication. Following this procedure, histology can be performed in order to study the cellular environment around each recording electrode. Unlike conventional rigid brain probes, mesh electronics can be left in the tissue during histology, making it possible to precisely correlate See, that's, that's a good um, feature. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, are, there are many, from a research perspective, there are many, many enticing aspects to this. Uh, <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't rolling out just yet uh, in, your, in your Neuralink. And, you know, the Neuralink are in contacts in the order of, I want to say, hundreds and thousands electrophysiology data with immunohistochemical analysis. There we go. So, um, freely as the mouse goes to the end of its clable length. Well, yeah, you know, again, there's uh, <laughs> there's limits, right? It's moving freely within the cage, right? So, I would I would use the definition of um, freely moving. Uh, animals in the cage and getting uh, real-time behavioral data. Okay. Right. So we would we would have a built set up like this and um. So, you know, we'd, we'd have that sort of set up and <laughs> he was a funny monkey. <laughs> he always had this, oh God, how are we, Yeah, and you know we would we would do real time behavioral analysis, and we we built this with connects Microsoft connects
and but that's that's what we would consider freely moving right it's not restrained and um yeah i restrained look like this right so and you know i was really really proud of this um to be able to modulate reward-driven behavior and switch it off and um but <laughs> it's it, in the current environment uh it's incredibly dangerous dual use type technologies and um i i don't want anything to do with it <laughs> i don't believe i don't believe them that they're, they're just interested in uh helping helping kids or uh uh grandpa and grandma um uh if this brain mod becomes fashionable it might take over the tranny crust <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. Um Monkey wants to swing from the branch. Yeah, look man, it's not it's it's a not a nice uh environment for the monkey, right? It it's uh, We did our best for them, but would I want to be a test monkey? No. Do I like the idea of um the Klaus Schwab's of this world dictating uh, my cognitive space, my behavioral space, my sovereignty. No, ab absolutely not. And um, until until we have a discussion about what this what this technology means and this ability to um, shunt behavior one way or another. And look, man. Like I say, I'd have, I'd have sold you all down the river. I'd have been able to cure your gambling and your alcoholism, and we'd been able to detect you doing the 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 what, like lead up behaviors, right? When someone's like going to do something, often it's expressed uh, outwardly, and we could use that as prediction coupled with um, brain uh, brain pattern activity and. Yeah, then what? We're gonna stun you with DBS. <laughs> the the thought now mortifies me. <laughs> Cute little kangs. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um. That's so. We'll we'll get into. Um. The I wanted the. I had one where it was a carbon nanotube. I want to say it was a Lieber paper, but. Yeah, this one. This one is, looks kind of interesting. So. Vascular cording probes. 
and I'm I'm interested to see how they did this. So, but you know, I, I don't think anyone's going around and putting this type of shit in their um in their brain vasculature. This would be highly, highly experimental. Uh, but like I say, he's got some. Um, we exploited the established surgical procedure used for rodent stroke models, middle cerebral artery occlusion, without introducing an occlusion. Okay. Common carotid artery bifurcates into external carotid artery. Okay, so. Mm. Just shunt it up there. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hold on. I'm interested to see the. Yeah, so we were looking at this, so. Imagine putting that into someone and, you know, it's like they, they bang their head. Um, it's not a, it's not a long-term solution by any stretch. But, you know, they're, they're certainly having a go at it. And I don't, I do not want to take from the engineering achievements here. It's not, it's not a easy um job to undertake i mean a lot of uh, electronics fabrication of course is uh, automated now but to get it into uh, a living organism and you know a mouse is still pretty complex it's uh, fiddly uh, surgery to do uh, that's why i preferred working on monkeys um but again you know, what are they getting recording 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 okay okay um I'm not. I'm not that impressed. <laughs> not really. I don't. You save a few nanoseconds, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Who who knows where it'll be in ten years' time? Uh, let's see. Allah doesn't value monkeys much. Well, uh, those those that reject Allah are the are the what do they say? Sons of monkeys and pigs, right? Something like that. <laughs> All right, so we we will get to this, and maybe we'll have uh, a subject matter expert give us um, their experience with this tech. Uh, I'm hoping so. Um, again, uh, you know, this is this is a lot of engineering. I'll do this next next paper, uh, next stream. But anyway, if anyone, let me just see if anyone sent. Don't know. I can't call anyone's a Jew at the moment. <laughs> oh, there's been a few. Uh, let's see so of course there was Armando and uh, GB I want to say thank you thank you uh, oh, what can we have um, I'm tired so I'll have one last die
All right. Um, I'm out of here, folks. We'll continue down uh, Neurostrike. Um, like I say, I think, I think the technology around the viral stuff is something far, far more wor uh, worrisome than um, hobbyist electronics <laughs> shunting it into your brain. Uh, but that's just me. All right. Take care. God bless. I will see you uh, in the next one. Oh, uh, maybe um, I'll be able to talk with Armchair Warlord. Um, so maybe we can have an Armchair Warlord get, a, get another subject matter expert. Um, rather than me just prattling on. <laughs> All right. I'm out of here. See ya. Bro, you don't know how angry I am. You do, I'm like, I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these peppers. I will fucking kill each fucking pepper. I swear. <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually saying. Fuck these peppers. No fucking vaccine or MRI whatever throws me my fucking blood blood never i will fucking die fucking praying for my fucking bees and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lineage fuck these motherfuckers all that five this guy September 45,000 turned in. Let up! 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 Let